Good morning. Today we're going to be reading from Psalm 1. If you want to turn there, if you brought a Bible. Book of Psalms is a book of prayers and praises. Um, it's a book where we get to see into every kind of emotion that you're allowed to have as a godly person. So it turns out you're allowed to have grief, anger, fear, shame, exuberance, like a lot of joy, regular joy, happiness, contentment, uh, bitterness of spirit. There's a lot of things. In fact, what the Psalms teach us is that you can go to God however you feel. And God will listen to you. And you can cry out to him. And that's a good thing to know, right? (laughs) And we need help to remember that, don't we? And the Psalms help us. They train us. How do we approach God in prayer? And how do we praise God? The the Psalms are, are songs. They were all sung by the Israelites. We don't sing them all. We sing some of them here at Church of the King. We're trying to sing more. Um, But they used to be the earworms of the people of God, right? You all have earworms. You have songs you like or songs that you really don't like, but they get stuck in your ear. And you're just, the words, even if they're the dumbest words in the world, just play through your head all day. Psalms were supposed to be that for us. A good good hymn or something can do the same work. Uh, So the Psalms are made to be meditated on. They're made to be considered. They're made to be chewed on. And it's music because music helps you remember things and chew on it, right? You've got to put the right things in your ears so that you're chewing on something that's actually helpful to you instead of something that's just irritating or something that's just depressing or stupid or unhelpful. There's a lot of music like that. There's music I like that's like that, and I have to be careful how often I listen to it because it's stuck in my head all the time. I start thinking different thoughts based on what music I take in, right? You all know how this works, right? Music changes your mood, changes your mind. Psalms are like that. Um, And this is the first psalm. Um, Psalms have a lot of teaching about who God is and what God has done. It's a lot of what psalmists are singing about. This psalm is a little different, this first one and the second one, which Nathan will be preaching on next week, God willing. uh, This first one especially feels to me like you could have just pulled it from the book of Proverbs. It's like, a basic pattern of life that we're supposed to consider at the outset of the Psalms. Um, it's pretty, it's, it's a meta, a meta statement. It's like, here's what all the Psalms are for. That's what this Psalm is about. So, let me read it. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous." But the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of Psalms, which teaches us how to approach you, both in private and in public. 
how to bring our feelings to you and how we ought to feel in light of who you are and what you've done for us. Pray that you would bless me in the words of my mouth today, that you'd be with every heart here, and that we would draw encouragement from your word as we submit to it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's get into it. The first line of someone. How blessed is the man? Okay, a kid. Blessed, what is that? I've heard this a lot of times in this church. What does it mean? What is blessed? Don't make me go to an adult. I'll do it. Ian, Peter, I'll call you out by name. Peter, you've been called out by name. What is blessed? There we go. I knew that you knew. Was it too easy? It's like one of those questions you don't like to answer because just everyone knows that already. Blessed, it's happy. Okay, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. So it's a song about happiness and unhappiness, as we'll see. So we're starting with what a happy man doesn't do. First of all, he doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. What's counsel? Counsel is when someone has advice for you. Someone wants to convince you of something. They have ideas about what your life should be and should look like. They're going to tell you. That's counsel. Um, like, oh, easy example. Your coworker talks about stealing a little money from the cash register. Not much, just a little, kind of fun. And that interests you. You kind of turn that over, maybe you do it. Well, that's the counsel of the wicked. You see an ad on a website for another website you know you should not go near, especially if you're a guy. No, I shouldn't go near that website. But you're looking at the counsel, the ad, and you're thinking, maybe I can get away with this this time. Maybe you do. The counsel of the wicked. There's, there's, there's a billion examples. There's more, you know, heinous stuff people could counsel you towards. But this stuff starts small. And it's also the voices in your head. The voice of your own sin. You've got to add that voice to what's going on. Our own internal voices. Just click on the link. Just take a little money this once. Pocket change. Employer's not going to miss it. Just, just, just do it. Just think a little bit about how you were wronged and feel bitter about it. Other people owe you. They didn't give you what you were owed. Just, just dwell on that just a little and just a little more until your whole life changes because you lied, you stole, you lusted, you lived in your bitterness, you stewed in your own juices, right? Counsel of the wicked. And the happy man, the dude we're talking about, he's not listening. He's not listening. He's not interested. He understands what that is. He understands where it goes. Turns it off. Does his best to not listen to that kind of thing. Tell his coworker no. Push the computer screen away. <laughs> Go for a walk outside and say, God, I sure am tempted to feel bitter right now <laughs> about what I've been through. But he's not just giving in to those voices. Okay. So the next thing, the next thing that the happy man, the blessed man doesn't do, he doesn't stand in the way of sinners. So what's the difference here? What's this? The way, it's like the road, it's like the street. It's like public. It's like not just listening anymore, not just doing some things, but like, okay, I'm in. I'm in with the gang. You guys want to cause some trouble? I want to cause some trouble. Sure, I'll go with you. 
I'll go with you. I'm there. Uh, I'm not trying to hide this. I'm just there. I'm on the road, right? I'm standing here. What are we doing? Angry? Violent? Whatever. I'm up for it. I know what's up, right? Happy man's not interested. He wants something else. He wants, he wants actual happiness, not that. And last, he doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers. So what's a scoffer? What's a scoffer? You ever been made fun of someone who was good at it? <laughs> Maybe it's easier in grade school, junior high, high school. Think of that kid <laughs> sit back in his, in his desk, had sort of command of the room. Maybe you were that kid. Maybe some of you are young enough to be that kid. I hope you're not that kid. But some of you in this room have been this kid. And you could like make fun of someone who was stupid. And the other kids were like, they were with you. They would like laugh too. You like turn the room against people. It's kind of a cool power, right? It's an evil power. But it's a kind of a twisted power. Okay, that's, that's a scoffer. That's a scoffer. That's someone with a weird kind of authority, like a, like a fake king. Um, he's worse than the other two stages of wickedness. He's going up the ladder because he's seated. When you, when you see that he's seated, you shouldn't think that's a stray detail. Who sits down to get things done? Well, a king. A king has a throne. When the king sits on his throne, it's business time. We don't have kings in America. We have judges. When is court in session? What is the time at which decisions are going to be made that will save or destroy the lives of people on trial? When the judge sits down, right? Court's in session. That session's a word that just means it's seated. He's exercising his authority now. Jesus, after he died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven. That means he has authority, right? He's seated. The Bible says he's going to reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. He's seated. He's exercising authority. Got it? So when you see the scoffer, you're seeing someone more than a follower. You're seeing a leader. You're seeing a leader. Um... A fake king. What do scoffers like to scoff at? Weakness. The weak, the needy. Those are nice targets. But you know who else is a nice target? The strong. You know someone who's doing better than you? Cut them down to size a little bit. At the least, you can make other people think they're stupid. Right? We've all done this in our hearts. Out of our sense of envy, pride towards people we thought were better than us. A little bit of scoffing. I see through them. Hypocrites. They're not what they pretend to be. You know who else scoffers like to scoff at? The, the, best, the, the best target for scoffing, the target par excellence, is God. Right? It's God. God, who does he think he is? He's not doing anything anyway. Have you seen the world? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since this guy promised he would come back. Christianity is stupid. Those church people, I know what they're like. People of God. <laughs> now there's no God. And if there is, I don't know him anything. So whatever. 
Well, that's scoffing. And that's the scoffer. Scoffers are communal beings. They want a crowd. They want people to come along. They want a gang. They'll take all the company they can get. Um, some things ought to be scoffed at. Uh, it's Psalm 2, next week. We'll see that God laughs at the wicked. He has scorn. It's like, who do you think you are rebelling against me? He laughs at them. And if God laughs at you, if he scoffs at you, you should take that to heart because that means you're his enemy and he'll destroy you. And there are times for godly people to scoff at things. To not give them dignity. Not respect them. But you know what God is not, even when he scoffs? God is not a scoffer. God is not a scoffer. God loves the weak. God loves the needy. God loves his people. God wants his enemies to be saved. God is not a scoffer. So the, the walk, stand, sit thing. Bad, worse, and even worse, right? Walk, stand, sit, like that. Uh, wickedness is everywhere. That's one thing I was thinking about reading this. There's just so much activity. You could walk, you could stand, you could sit. You do all kinds of things. Evil is easy to find. It's easy to get into. It's everywhere. It's not hard. You don't have to go looking that hard. Um, the way of the wicked is broad. But what the blessed man does is narrow. You can go on social media and find wickedness. You can turn on your kid's Disney Plus show. Oh, there's a bunch of wickedness. Surprise. Disney wants your children. They're getting even less shy about it. Not that they've been shy. Okay, there's a million examples. There's a million examples of how easy it is to get into wickedness. It's everywhere. But the man who's going to be happy is focused on something else. He's focused on something else. And it doesn't even look like it's very much activity. He's meditating on the law of the Lord. That's very particular and narrow, isn't it? It's not broad. It's narrow. It's not common like dirt. It's special. It's special. It's a connection with the living God. And wickedness is the current that's carrying along everyone in this world. But the, the way of the righteous, the way of knowing God, is a countercurrent, pulling you a different direction. The one thing that the blessed man does is meditate on the word of God, and it changes his life. So it says, the law of the Lord. Okay, that's, law is what God commands, right? But the idea of the law of God stands in for everything that God has said. Everything in the Bible. Every word of God has a bearing on our lives. All of it is to be listened to and meditated on and obeyed. Not just, not just the things that say specifically, do this, don't do this. The whole Bible applies to us. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, which is a quote from 2 Timothy 3.16. We have to submit to it all. Here's this guy who's filled with joy at submitting to God's word. This does not sound very impressive. He finds his delight in God's law. That means he finds his delight in God. That means he finds his delight in figuring out, where am I not obedient to God? I'm going to change that. 
Where am I supposed to be putting my money, my time, my energy, my affections? Okay, I want to put them there. That's his delight. That's what he's decided. This is where my happiness is going to be. Sounds kind of obsessed, if you ask me. But he's picked the right obsession. He's right. He's right. Knowing and obeying God is the best thing in life. There's not anything better. I know a lot of you, I know a lot of you could give a testimony if I pulled you up on stage right now, which you wouldn't like, and I won't do it. But you could tell me how God's word has changed your life, saved you from destruction, brought you from a way of destruction to a way of life. You could do it. You know what this is about. This is about life versus death. Life versus death. God's word changes us. Um, It turns us away from our sin. We're not the same people that we were. We're not the same people that we were because of the word of God. It did something to us. And the man who delights in God's law is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. Maybe you don't, you know, aspire to be like a tree. Let me ask you some questions, though. You ever felt weak? Like you don't have a source of strength. You could easily be knocked over by pain, difficulty. Yeah, no roots to hold you down. Bad things happen. Just be blown away. I felt that way. Okay, if you submit your life to God, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. You're not going to be blown away in hard times. You're not just going to be uprooted, fall over. You're going to have actual strength to stand. You're not going to collapse. This tree, it yields its fruit in season. Okay, next question. You ever felt useless? Like you had nothing to give? Okay, let's not just talk about feelings. Feelings are important, but this is about what you actually are or aren't in your life. Have you ever been useless? A drain on everyone around you? No, it's not just that you felt like you had nothing to give. You had nothing to give, and you didn't give it. You were a drain. You were just a taker. Parents, society, spouse, whoever, just a taker. Okay, I've been that. You say, no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I've always been a hard worker. I provided for my family. I provided financially. I don't live on the generosity of other people like you're talking about. Okay, okay, all right, all right. What about spiritually? You ever been someone who had nothing to give to other people spiritually? Does your life always produce spiritual fruits? Did, it, did your life lead to godliness in the people around you? God loves fruit, right? It's spring. Flowers are budding. Trees are getting ready to produce fruit. Rabbits are having babies. They're multiplying. Fruit! Everywhere! When God started up creation and made Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Fill it up. Subdue it. Lots of fruit. God loves it. Jesus tells his disciples, you didn't choose me, but I chose you so that you would bear much fruit. It's what Jesus wants from you and me. Much fruit. He loves it. 
What does that mean? Well, it means he wants us to be his witnesses. He wants us to live lives of repentance. He wants us to love each other. He wants us to be helpful to each other. He wants us to confess our sins to each other. That's all fruit. God loves it. He doesn't stop wanting more of it. Its leaf does not wither. It doesn't shrivel up and get ready to die. We have some potted plants that haven't made it in our house. My wife takes personal responsibility for these potted plants. (laughs) She feels really bad. (laughs) She comes to me and she's like, oh, the the winter berry thing that you got me, whatever it was. It's a really cool little berry plant I got her a few months ago. And I was like, this is a cool plant. I'm going to give it to you. She loved it. She's like, oh, it's dying. I'm sorry. I'm like, honey, you killed another one. That's not what I say. I, I don't actually hold her personally responsible. I don't. But she feels it. She feels, I see that look of guilt in her eyes. Like, oh no, I did it again. Like, I, I don't know that you did anything. I mean, I'm not blaming you. But, uh, but, but you know these plants, right? They start to get shrivelly and brown leaves start to die. You're like, no, have some water. No, have some sunshine. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Death has come for that plant. It's over. It's over. So you ever felt like that? Ever felt withered? Like whatever keeps other people alive, not working for you. Not working for you. In your heart, you feel shriveled and dead. Life without God is death. It's kind of death, actually. But knowing and obeying God is life. It's life. That's what this is about. Not just you won't go to hell. Very true, very important, but you'll be alive now. You'll be alive. And all that he does, he prospers. Okay, not financial prosperity, although true story, generally speaking, financial prosperity comes when you learn how to work hard, honor God with your money, be wise with it, generally speaking, you'll have some financial success. Not always. We, got, we have Christians whose money and property is confiscated because they're Christians in other countries. China, the Middle East, there's a lot of countries where that's true. Not true for us, and that's a blessing. But are those Christians prospering? Are they prospering when their money gets taken? Yeah. They're still prospering because there's a spiritual prosperity that's more important, and the government can't take that away from them. Their, their life is an investment in God's kingdom, They're walking with God. Their whole life is invested in something that will pay off. Their their lives and the suffering they go through, God promises those sufferings will be used for his glory and to bring other people into the gospel. And those are the things, those things that I just said are the things that are going to make you happy one day when nothing else makes you happy. I mean... Those people have a relationship with God. They have the blood of Jesus covering their conscience and making it clean. They have all kinds of treasure and prosperity. If that doesn't sound appealing to you, and if that doesn't sound like a kind of prosperity that interests you, sorry. You don't know what it's like to live. You don't understand what it means to live. You don't. You don't know what it's like to have your life changed because of God's word. Knowing and obeying God is what keeps you alive and strong. And it's what gives you something to give when your life stinks and you feel terrible and weak. Knowing God. So how do you do this? How do you become this 
fruitful person who's stable? Well, you open up the Bible. You read the Bible. You try to obey it. You pray for help to understand it. You talk about it with other believers. You ask God for forgiveness when you fail. You cry out to him with the struggles of your life. You do this as a community, in a church body, under pastors who care about you. You Rinse, repeat. Rinse, repeat. Day and night, right? He meditates day and night. Rinse, repeat. Same old, same old. And God blesses you. And he will bless you. He'll bless you. You may feel really weak right now. Like you don't have much faith. You're not at a very good starting point. You're not much to look at. You don't know much about the Bible. Your self-control is, shall we say, lacking. (laughs) Which is not the word that your wife or your husband might actually use to describe you. But your self-control is lacking. All right. It's okay. God has what you need to grow. Little by little. Day by day by night by night. It's what you need. Your life, your life is a mess. It's a mess. So is mine. And the point is that it's a fruitful mess. It's what it means to be a Christian. To have a life that's a fruitful mess. Um... I just want to stop for a minute. I wasn't sure I wanted to do this, but I do. Uh, You could think of this as a little typology trail. So who is this guy? Who is this guy in the psalm who wants to do all these things? He just gives his heart to God. He just wants to do whatever God wants him to do. He meditates day and night. Meditates day and night on God's word. No hesitation. You realize that's a standard of perfection that we're talking about, right? When you read this, it's a standard of perfection. If you do that perfectly, you would be, and you would have to be, a perfect man, a perfect woman. So our first father, Adam, first man, not like this, not like this. His delight was not in the law of the Lord. He was not like a tree planted by streams of water. Speaking of trees, turns out there's a lot about trees in the Bible. Uh, Adam had access to the original tree of life, which this psalm is riffing on. I won't really go into that, but it's riffing on it. He had access to the original tree of life. You could eat from the fruit of the tree of life. You'd live forever. He forfeited access to it for himself, for Eve, for all of us, by turning away from God, because his delight was not in the law of the Lord. The second Adam, the second Adam is this man, the perfect man, Jesus Christ. He did delight in God's law, and he never stopped. He really was day and night. He really was, actually, day and night. God's law going through his mind. And he was, he delighted in God's law even when it meant his own death. And death didn't kill him, right? Its leaf does not wither. Death actually didn't kill him. It just stopped him for a few days. And then he rose again because he had an indestructible life. Because his delight was in the law of the Lord. And on that law, he meditated day and night. He had that deep communion with God. An indestructible life is what Hebrews 7.16 says about him. There's nothing weak or sinful or sick or evil in him. So death couldn't keep him down. Did his life have fruit? Yes, his life had fruit. It had a lot of fruit. What's fruit? You and me. You and me. The, the fruit is that God through Jesus, has 
made you his own. And he's given you something you did not have before, which is a delight in the law of God in your inner man. He gave you that. You didn't have that. He gave you that. And he died so that you could be that way. And so that you, he died so that you could be this man, this woman, so that you could aspire to that and live your life like that and live to obey and love God. Okay, let's come back to the psalm. So verse 4, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So remember the wicked, they're busy, they're everywhere. It's easy, it's easy to get involved with the wicked. They're like chaff. Um, who remembers what chaff is? Someone just tell me. What's chaff? Thanks, Jennifer. Yeah, so it's, it's like the outer husk of the grain. You take the grain, you beat it out, and the valuable part is heavier. It has an actual weight, right? And you, so you beat it out, you toss it up, and the wind doesn't carry away the part that you want, which, is, which has a weight and a usefulness. That falls back down. But the chaff, which is worth nothing and is nothing, it's gone, right? It's gone. Chaff isn't good for anything. That's what the wicked are like. That's what the psalm is saying. That's what the wicked are like. Sometimes the wicked are rich in this life. Sometimes they're powerful. Sometimes they're politicians or gangsters or Silicon Valley billionaires. But let's not be so focused on the, the, the sexy part of what wickedness is, right? <laughs> because more often, wickedness is, just, wickedness is just normal. Wickedness is just you and me without the Lord. Wickedness is just, we're going to do what we're going to do. If God had not given us a delight in his law, we're going to do what we're going to do. We're just going to live our best life now without submission to God. Uh, what does that look like? Well, I'm going to be my own law. Well, what does that look like? Well, maybe it looks like actually conservative values. Maybe it looks like liberal values. Maybe don't mess with me and I won't mess with you. That's how I live my life. I do right by other people. Maybe it's just I try to be a good person and I think that ought to be good enough for God. I've met a lot of people who say that with no self-awareness and no idea that God might have other standards than the ones you decided to set. Just maybe. Excuse me. Well, or, 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 oh, I don't know that I've ever heard anyone say this, but I have in movies. I'm not a good person, but it's not my fault. You don't know what I've been through. I know people think that. Or how about, I think God is a God of love, and I don't think he would send anyone to hell. I don't want to discuss it. God's a God of love. Love, love, love. All right. We all want to make a law that we can have that's not God's law and live by it. And that's wickedness. That's just normal. But the living God is not impressed. That's not the standard. He has the standard. The wicked are like chaff. Their lives are not strong. Their lives are not fruitful. Their lives are a kind of death. They're not good for anything. And that's not how it looks to us now. Not all the time. This, this psalm is a God's eye perspective. It's giving you a vision of how things actually are and how one day, at the final judgment, they will look. You will see them this way. It will not be pretty. 
it is hard to live in the world and see the world like this now. Right? It's hard to do. It's not easy. But the psalm is trying to calibrate us. No. Look with the eyes God is giving you. Look and see everything. See yourself, see other people like God sees them. Not like you just want to see them. Like we all just want to see them left to ourselves. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Therefore, we like to ask, we'll never get tired of asking, I dare say, what's the therefore? Therefore. Shows the reason that the wicked won't stand in God's final judgment of all things. Well, the therefore is just saying, the reason they won't stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, is what we just said. They're chaff. They're chaff. That's why they won't stand. Chaff doesn't stand. Wheat stands. Barley stands. Not chaff. You throw out the chaff. That's how you judge chaff. Goodbye, chaff. They're weightless. They're lifeless. There's nothing to them. They won't stand in the judgment. They won't be counted as part of God's people. Are you getting a sense of what matters to God? Fruit. Fruitfulness. That's what he looks for. It's how he evaluates us. Fruitfulness. Are you alive? Did I give you life? Are you fruitful? Either God brings you to life and you become like a tree planted by streams of water, or you live opposed to God, which is to say, you have no life in you. No life in you. Okay, last verse, which I think is answering the question, why does everything work this way? Why does everything work this way? The answer is, because the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows the way of the righteous. So the word, the Hebrew word know, you've probably heard this one before if you spent any time in church. The Hebrew word know is not just a word for I know. The two plus two is four. It's a word for I know so-and-so. I know you. I have an intimate knowledge, a real connection, a relationship, Right? It's the word no. So the point is that God has some kind of intimate relationship with the way of righteousness. The way that's just been described. That's the way, the path where you meditate on the law of the Lord and you become like a tree, right? Planted by streams of water. That's the way of the righteous. That's the way. And you become a stable and fruitful man or woman of God. What is this relationship that God has with the way of the righteous? relationship is this. God is the source of righteousness. It's defined by who he is, by who he is. Uh, we've talked a lot about life, right, in the sermon. Surprise, surprise. Life and righteousness always go together, always go together. God is the source of life. Truth, talk some about truth. God is the source of truth. So think about it this way. There's no truth above God by which he can test himself and say, did I get that fact right? Let me check the truth book. No, no, no. God created all the facts. Created all the facts. He knows all the facts. He's, he's the source. He's the standard of everything that's true. Everything that's true. If it's a lie, he knows it's a lie, not by consulting some other reference manual, but because God is in himself the source and standard of truth. Uh, what about life? God has life in himself. Remember that Jesus talks this way. 
in, in the Gospel of John. I have life in myself. The Father has life in himself. He gave me life in myself so that I could give life to other people. God, God is not drawing life from another source. The, the very, the stupid image that comes to my mind is like a giant, terrifying robot. I like science fiction and stuff. And it's, it has a power source that it's connected to, and that's how it, it's this giant, scary, no. That's a dumb image. But even if it were a good image, somehow. God has no source of life outside of himself. He's not drawing from anywhere. He has life in himself, and he is the source of our lives. Without him, we wouldn't exist. Okay, what about righteousness? Is there a standard of right and wrong hanging over God's head that one day will judge God? Sounds blasphemous when I ask it that way, right? No, of course not. Of course not. There's no right and wrong standard outside of God. There's nothing, no one that can say to him, excuse me, God, what are you doing? But don't our hearts say that to God all the time? (laughs) Maybe your heart's not like mine. Pretty sure that it is, though. Yeah. No. God defines what righteousness is. His own character is the standards of righteousness. He's the source of righteousness. He's the source of life. He's the source of truth. All these things. So if you go looking for truth, life, righteousness, happiness, outside of God, here's what will happen. You will come back empty. Can't be helped. So, if the Lord doesn't know your way, if God doesn't have an organic connection to your life in the course of your life, your way is nothing, it doesn't have substance, it won't last, it will perish. Did you notice um, that the text, it just says, the way of the wicked will perish. It doesn't even give the way of the wicked the dignity of saying, but the Lord does not know the way of the wicked. It just, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. Well, what about the way of the wicked? The way of the wicked will perish. Of course, God doesn't know the way of the wicked. There's no relationship with it. It's not anything to have a relationship with. So does God know your way? Are you on the way of the righteous? Or are you on the way of the wicked? This reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount where in your flesh you might wish that (laughs) this psalm ended with the tree. So you'd end on an encouraging note, but it doesn't. It ends on a disconcerting note. The way of the wicked will perish. That's okay. You have to let God's word disconcert you, unsettle you, shake you up a little. It's good. It's God's design. So you should meditate on it, right? You should meditate on this psalm. You should pray about it. And if you, if you do, God will bless you. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray for every soul here that you will give them life in your son. I pray that they will have all the blessings you promised to the man who meditates on your word. I pray that you will make every one of us strong and fruitful, like trees planted by streams of water. Men and women whose lives are a fruitful mess, who are full of life and repentance in in the face of everything we're going through. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.